As you may know, if you've been keeping up with things here at Trinity, we have been working our way through the two letters that Peter wrote that are in the New Testament, 1st and 2nd Peter. And this week we're coming to 2nd Peter chapter 2. Now, before you hear this reading, I wanted to give you a little warning. We're dealing with a very sensitive subject, and Peter is going to have some very strong words to say about it. Now, it would have been tempting as we were setting up the sermon series to just kind of skip over chapter 2 in, uh, in this letter that Peter wrote. But that's not what God wants us to do. These things are in God's Word for a reason, and so it's important that we listen to them and we study them together. So I invite you to sit back and prepare yourself and listen to these words from God's Word. Our reading today comes from 2 Peter chapter 2, verses 1-22. to but there were also lying prophets among the people then, just as there will be lying religious teachers among you. They'll smuggle in destructive divisions, pitting you against each other, biting the hand of the one who gave them a chance to have their lives back. They've put themselves on a fast downhill slide to destruction, but not before they recruit a crowd of mixed up followers who can't tell right from wrong. They give the way of truth a bad name. They're only out for themselves. They'll say anything, anything that sounds good to exploit you. They won't, of course, get by with it. They'll come to a bad end, for God has never just stood by and let that kind of thing go on. God didn't let the rebel angels off the hook, but jailed them in hell till judgment day. Neither did he let the ancient ungodly world off. He wiped it out with a flood, rescuing only eight people. Noah, the sole voice of righteousness, was one of them. God decreed the destruction for the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah. A mound of ashes was all that was left. Grim warning to anyone bent on an ungodly life. But that good man Lot, driven nearly out of his mind by the sexual filth and perversity, was rescued. Surrounded by moral rot day after day after day, that righteous man was in constant torment. So God knows how to rescue the godly from evil trials, and he knows how to hold the feet of the wicked to the fire until judgment day. God is especially incensed against these teachers who live by lust, addicted to a filthy existence. They despise interference from true authority, preferring to indulge in self-rule, insolent egotists that they don't hesitate to speak evil against the most splendid of creatures. Even angels, their superiors in every way, wouldn't think of throwing their weight around like that, trying to slander others before God. These people are nothing but brute beasts, born in the wild, predators on the prowl. In the very act of bringing down others with their ignorant blasphemies, they themselves will be brought down, losers in the end. Their evil will boomerang on them. They're so despicable and addicted to pleasure that they indulge in wild parties, carousing in broad daylight. They're obsessed with adultery, compulsive in sin, seducing every vulnerable soul they come upon. Their specialty is greed, and they're experts at it. Dead souls. They left the main road and are directionless, having taken the way of Balaam, son of Baor, the prophet who turned profiteer, a connoisseur of evil. But Balaam was stopped in his wayward tracks. A dumb animal spoke in human voice and prevented the prophet's craziness. There's nothing to these people. They're dried up fountains, storm-scattered clouds, headed for a black hole in hell. They are loud mouths, full of hot air, but still they're dangerous. Men and women who have recently escaped from a deviant life are most susceptible to their brand of seduction. 
They promise these newcomers freedom, but they themselves are slaves of corruption. For if they're addicted to corruption, and, and they are, they're enslaved. If they've escaped from the slum of sin by experiencing our master and savior, Jesus Christ, and then slid back into that same old life again, they're worse than if they had never left. Better not to have started out on the straight road to God than to start out and then turn back, repudiating the experience and the holy command. They prove the point of the Proverbs, a dog goes back to its own vomit, and a scrubbed up pig heads for the mud. Well, as I said, this week we are continuing our study together of these letters for exiles, letters written by the Apostle Peter to those who were in exile, who were waiting for Jesus to come again and who had been kind of scattered around the region. It's important for us to study this together because the same issues that plague them, that Peter was writing them about, plague us. And this week's one is no different. This idea of false leaders or false teachers in the church. You know, it seems like every month there's a new scandal, a new story of a pastor that's been accused of something illegal or immoral somewhere, and the media trots those stories out proudly. Just this last July, there was another story. This time it happened in Federal Way, Washington, where the Christian Faith Center's pastor was being brought up on charges of sexual misconduct. Now, if you read the story, this one just seemed especially egregious. I mean, it, it started maybe innocently enough with the pastor bringing his wife onto the staff and both of them being paid exorbitant salaries, much higher than anyone else on staff. They were paid so much that as I read through the article, I, I noticed some interesting details. They were able to afford a million-dollar lake house complete with an indoor racquetball court. They had uh, Mercedes car leases, one for each of them. And, and here's, here's kind of the most bizarre part of this story. The pastor would drive his Mercedes to church on Sunday morning, and while he was in leading the service and preaching, he expected the greeter team during the service to go out and hand wash and detail his car. And he, he said hand wash. He didn't, didn't want to take in any car wash. He wanted them to hand wash that car. Maybe most bizarre at all, the article talked about how when the pastor and his wife would travel, when they would come back into town, they would expect to be picked up at the airport by someone from the church. Now, it gets worse. Not only was one car to come to pick them up, they were to send two cars. One car to pick the pastor and his wife up so they didn't have to wait for their luggage. They could just leave right away. And the other car to wait for their luggage and deliver their luggage then to their house. Horrible behavior and greedy behavior, so much so that, that it's no surprise that this pastor ends up in the news because of sexual indiscretions with members of the congregation. Folks, here in this second chapter of Second Peter, Peter's talking about this concept of false teachers, false leaders in the church. 
And uh, as we bridge over from the previous chapter, he's been talking about, he says, prophecy resulted when the Holy Spirit prompted men men and women to speak God's word. He's talking about prophets in the Old Testament. Uh, but, but there were also lying prophets among the people then, Peter says, just as there will be lying religious teachers among you now, he says. So what, what Peter is saying is, as long as God's word is being taught, as long as God is communicating to his people through his word, there are going to be true prophets and there are going to be false prophets. There are going to be true teachers and there are going to be false teachers. And that same thing is true for us today. So today what we want to do is we want to unpack this section of God's Word a little bit. We want to talk about this difficult subject. And I'm going to approach it this way. First of all, let's talk about the truth about false teachers. See what we can learn. Then let's talk about the truth about ourselves. Because, you see, the reality is there are certain attitudes or things that we do that create a fertile environment for false teachers. And then finally, let's turn our attention to God's truth for the answers to this difficult problem. So let's start with the truth about false teachers. Second uh, Peter 2, 1-2 says this, They'll smuggle in destructive divisions, pitting you against each other, biting the hand of the one who gave them a chance to have their lives back. They put themselves on a fast downhill slide to destruction, but not before they recruit a crowd of mixed up followers who can't tell right from wrong. Peter says these false teachers start by introducing uh, destructive divisions, or one translation says heresies into the church. Now, when you look at Christians, I would say, you know, if, if this is what Christians believe, this much we all believe the same things. But there are some things out here that, that we do disagree on, like, like what exactly is God doing or what is happening in baptism or, or is the body and blood of Jesus present in the Lord's Supper or not? There's some disagreement there. And, but that's not what this is talking about, those, those disagreements that make up our different denominations that we see across the board in Christianity. He's talking about destructive heresies, heresies uh, that, that can tear the church apart, that can tear believers away from their faith. He says these false teachers uh, lean into those destructive heresies and end up confusing people. Later on in this chapter, he says this. He says, God is especially incensed against these teachers who live by lust, addicted to a filthy existence. And then listen to this. He says, they despise interference from true authority, preferring to indulge in self-rule. In other words, what, what Peter is saying is one way you can recognize false teachers is they don't want any accountability. They don't want to be accountable to anyone. You know, here at Trinity, we have very clear lines of accountability. All of our staff is accountable to our senior pastor, and our senior pastor is accountable to our governing board. And even more than that, we're part of a larger denomination called the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod. And there's a whole lot of accountability that goes with being part of that larger church body as well. We agree that we will uh, have certain uh, things that we will teach and certain things that we won't teach, that, that, that we will together proclaim God's truth in a way that we all agree is true. But 
false teachers, they don't want accountability. They don't want anyone looking over their shoulder. They don't want anyone who's going to hold their feet to the fire if they start teaching something that is contrary to God's word or start behaving in a way that is contrary to a leader in God's family. They don't want accountability. That's one way you can see a problem with a false teacher. Here's here's another way. In in verse 3 in this chapter, it says this, they're only out for themselves. They'll say anything, anything that sounds good to exploit you. In other words, the motivation of those teachers is in question, Peter says. They're, They're all about themselves, not about others, not about what's good for the congregation, not about what's good uh, for the church family. They're only in it for themselves. Does that sound familiar? Sure sounds like the example I started the message with, doesn't it? And, And when you're only in it for yourself, it leads to some inevitable places like this. Listen, he says, they're so despicable and addicted to pleasure that they indulge in wild parties They're obsessed with adultery, compulsive in sin, seducing every vulnerable soul they come upon. Their specialty is greed, and they're experts at it. Greed and sexual sin ultimately follow these false teachers because they're focused on themselves and their own selfish desires. And finally, listen to this. It says they promise these newcomers freedom, newcomers to the faith. They promise people freedom, it says, but they themselves are slaves of corruption. In other words, they say certain things, but do something very different. We have a word for that. They're they're hypocrites. You know, unfortunately, um, one of the pastors that I uh, served under many years ago um, ended up leaving the ministry because of uh, drug issues uh, and because of uh, affairs he was having in the congregation. And, uh, and, and the tragedy of that was, is this man was an amazing Bible teacher. In fact, m- my faith grew and came alive under his teaching in ways it never had before. But the more I got to know him, the more I started noticing that these wonderful things he was talking about in teaching in Bible class and, and in his sermons on the weekend I didn't see evidence of them in his life. He, would, he was saying one thing, but living in a very different way. And uh, the warning signs were there that there were deeper issues. So what's the end result of these false teachers, according to Peter? What, what happens? He says, well, first of all, this is in verse 2, he says, they give the way of truth a bad name. Every single time there's a story in the news about yet another pastor or church leader that has fallen, I just cringe because for many people in our society, people who question whether there's a God or question whether organized religion has any value, they go, see, there's just another example. That religion stuff is just, just a, a bunch of corrupt stuff. It's, it's dangerous. It's terrible. The great tragedy of false teachers is they give God's way, the the way of following Jesus and living our lives according to his plan for us, they give us a bad name. But maybe worst of all, listen to this. He says, there's nothing to these people. They're dried up fountains, storm-scattered clouds, headed for a black hole in hell. They are loudmouths full of hot air, but they're still dangerous 
men and women who have recently escaped from a fallen life are most susceptible to their brand of seduction. In other words, Peter's saying the great tragedy of these false teachers is they, they pull people away from faith, and especially those who are new in the faith are the most vulnerable, he says. People's eternal lives are affected by these false teachers. Now, that's the truth about false teachers, according to Peter. But let's take a hard look at ourselves, because we, all, we have to admit that there are some things that we do, if we're not careful, that can, can create an environment in which false teachers can thrive. Let's talk about the truth about ourselves a little bit. First of all, there's a tendency among us as Christians to put leaders on a pedestal, to uh, create celebrities out of leaders in the church, or at least have our favorite leaders that that we want to listen to and others that we avoid. (laughs) For years, we would uh, get a phone call when I was in the office, and and they wanted to know who was going to preach at a certain site that next weekend. And while people wouldn't come right out and say it, the implication was, if it's not the person I want to see here preaching, I may not come to church, or maybe I'll go to a different site. And, and so I used to, first of all, I used to instruct anybody in the office, if people call and they ask who's preaching, don't tell them. Uh, just say, we don't, we don't share the preaching schedule. So, and then, if, if, if you want, you could say something like, but I can guarantee you this, Jesus is going to be there no matter who's preaching. I mean, I know that's a small example, and there's nothing wrong with having a favorite preacher, but if, if the idea is, I'm only going to go to that church because that person's the pastor, or um, I'm only going to be involved in that ministry because that person's leading the ministry, it, it kind of feeds into this idea that, that it's the people leading the ministry that's important, not the person we're all following together, and that's Jesus. Here's the, here's the second way uh, that we can kind of create this environment, and that's when it comes to our idea of truth. There's a, a quote that I've seen in a number of different places. I've seen it attributed to a number of different leaders, but it's a very popular quote these days. Listen to it. It says, truth is not something outside to be discovered. It is something inside to be realized. See, this concept of relative truth in our society is, is, is dangerous. This idea that, that you can have your version of truth and I can have my version of truth and, and, and truth really is relative. Things may be true for you, but they, they don't have to be true for me. We find truth inside and we go through a process of understanding our own truth. But folks, that's dangerous. And, and the Bible teaches something very different. It teaches that there is such a thing as objective truth. And by the way, we recognize this in some areas of our life. Let's say that uh, you, you found a, a lump under your skin and, and you went to the doctor and the doctor said, oh, yeah, that, that, that could be bad. That could be cancer. We're going to have to do a test. We're going to have to do a biopsy uh, to see uh, if that's cancer or not. You would not want the doctor to come back to that and go, well, you know, the test didn't really tell us much. You just, what do you think? Do you think it's cancer? You wouldn't want that, right? You wouldn't want to go, no, 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 do more tests. I, I want to know what the truth is here. It's either cancer or it's not. I want to know the truth. Why wouldn't we 
apply that same way of thinking to all areas of our life, especially an important question like, is there a God? I mean, there either is a God or there isn't. There's an objective truth about that. And this idea that we can all have our own truth when it comes to uh, spiritual things, it's just, it's destructive. And, and not only is it destructive, what it does is it creates this environment where false teachers can thrive. Because after all, you know, their truth that they're teaching is just as valid as anybody else's truth. Well, that's just not true. So what do we do? See, the Apostle Paul also envisioned this kind of problem. In Ephesians 4, he wrote this. He's talking about the importance of understanding truth and speaking truth. And he said, then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people in their deceitful scheming. Instead, we speak the truth in love and we grow. See, folks, truth is the answer when we're dealing with false teachers. So, first of all, how do we know the truth? Well, Jesus said this. He said, if you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. Then you will know the truth, and that truth will set you free. Free from fear, free from false teachers, free from the the influences they can have. And, And we find that truth in God's word. Now, do you know how they teach people to recognize counterfeit money? I always thought, well, they'd show them a lot of examples of counterfeit money. And and the more you studied those examples of counterfeit money, the more you'd be able to recognize it. But that's not what they do. No, they they show you examples of real money. You, You spend time analyzing and studying real currency. And the more time you spend with that real currency, the easier it becomes to recognize when it's fake. Folks, that principle applies when it comes to God's truth. We need to spend time in God's word. I remember one time I heard a, a, a pastor that I respect a lot and somebody asked him the question, if you, could, if you could wish for one thing for your entire congregation, what would that wish be? And, and he said, without missing a beat, instantly he said, I would wish that they were every single member of our church family was reading God's word and hearing from God from his word every single day. He said, that would transform our church. And I agree. We need to be spending time in God's word with God's truth. And the more time we spend with God's word, the more time we spend with his truth, the easier it becomes to recognize when someone is saying something that isn't true. The the next thing we can do is um, we can focus on Jesus. Hebrews says this, let's keep our eyes fixed on Jesus, on whom our faith depends from beginning to end. Folks, think about Jesus for a minute. And think, think about those things we said about false teachers, how they, they don't want accountability and they're focused only on themselves and their own needs and they, they say one thing and do another. Jesus was the exact opposite of that. He was fully accountable to his heavenly father. Go back and read those stories about Jesus and see how often he says things like he's just doing the will of his father. 
Do you remember when he was in the Garden of Gethsemane? This is the night before he's about to be arrested and then put on trial and then beaten and crucified. And he's praying to his heavenly father and and he knows this is going to be incredibly difficult. And he says, Father, if there's another way, please, let's find another way. But then he ends the prayer with this, but not my will, your will be done. And in fact, he prays that prayer a number of times. And and as he prays it, he ends up saying, you know, since there's no other way, Father, I, I know that since there's no other way, your will be done. Jesus was fully accountable to his heavenly father. Jesus didn't put himself first, but he put the needs of others first all the time. I mean, just earlier that same evening before those prayers in the garden, if there was ever an evening where Jesus could have been a little self-indulgent, it would be this last night with his disciples. And yet when there was no one there to wash the disciples' feet, Jesus got down on his hands and knees and did it. Got down and served. He was always putting others first. And and, and, and finally, Jesus did exactly what he said he was going to do. He, he lived in such a way that showed he was putting into practice his own words and his own teaching. Not only was Jesus accountable to his Father and focused on the needs of others and, and, and putting that into practice, he does that for you. Jesus is accountable as to his father because he knew that's what it would take to save you. Jesus focuses on your needs. He he promises that he's going to forgive your sin, and he does. He, He says he's going to be with you always, and he is. Jesus is the perfect leader, the one that we are called to follow. Now, I I know this hasn't been the most fun week as we studied God's Word together, talking about false teachers, but the damage that they can do is very real, and and we need to make sure that we are vigilant as God's people. Now, I I just want to close with with one last thing. I, I count it one of the greatest privileges I have in life that I get to be a part of this ministry here at Trinity, a ministry that takes accountability seriously, a ministry that has called um, men and women into leadership positions that people that lead with integrity and humility and focus on others. Now, we're all sinners. We, we all fail sometimes. But I am so blessed to work with not, not only the staff that have been here for a, a long time, but just recently now with some of the new additions to the team. God has blessed us with amazing leaders, and we should never take that for granted, but be thankful for it. But that said, we should always be vigilant. We should study God's word and God's truth and focus our eyes not on those leaders, but on Jesus. Amen.